Good morning. The scripture reading this morning comes from several passages in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, and 8, and 11, 8 through 11, Deuteronomy 5, 15, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, and Hebrews 4, 9 to 10. And I'm going to read them all straight through. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rachel. All right. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we're asking one more time for an outpouring of your grace. Please come and be present in this moment. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the beginning, God worked. He created. And then God did a most amazing thing. He stopped. God rested. It's what we read in the very first reading there in Genesis chapter 2, the story of creation. And thereafter, what we find is that God invites us into that very storyline of work and rest. We're invited into imitating God and to living according to his rhythm of work and rest. In other words, we're invited into practicing the Sabbath. Last week, we started to examine the spiritual practice of Sabbath, asking questions across our community. What is the Sabbath? How do you practice it? And we began to learn a number of things, including the idea that we find in all of these different passages of Scripture, just a sampling of what God says in the Bible about Sabbath rest, 
that Sabbath is an invitation into the very life of God because God himself is a God of rest. See, every other God of our imagination tells us, even yells at us, what have you done for me lately? Get busy. The God of the Bible says, I am your provider. I am your savior. I am your all in all. I'll do the working. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Those precious words that we hear from Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, chapter 11, verse 28. I will give you rest. See, the Sabbath is an invitation to embrace a new life-giving rhythm of work and of rest. Of work and rest. It's a rhythm of work and rest. And we do this by structuring our lives around that rhythm. Where after our working, we then abide by a cycle of ceasing and restoring and feasting. You say, what's that? We talked about this a little bit last week. Ceasing means pausing from our daily work at the end of each day and at least one full day each week. Or if you're in a unique vocational season of life, you're the mom of a nursing infant perhaps, or your shift work requires you to go in every day, then in those cases, setting aside at least three hours, perhaps, of Sabbath time. Ceasing means stopping, of, of pausing, of setting aside our six days or our many hours of work to stop. But then it also means not just ceasing, but restoring. Embracing activities that positively refuel, replenish, refresh, our bodies, and our souls. See, Sabbath is not just the negative activity of stopping, it's also the positive activity of replenishing ourselves by God's grace, of becoming more whole, in fact, more human all over again. And then lastly, not just ceasing and restoring, but finally feasting, a word that captures this idea of, of, of spending our time around food, but also the feasting of relationships and the beauty of the world that God has made. In other words, this emphasis that the Sabbath is meant for our delight, for our joy. It's meant to be the high point of your week and even of your day, ceasing, restoring, and feasting. And even as we describe this in outline form, I think it becomes clear that this practice, this spiritual practice, it really does require resistance and resolve. It's hard to do. There is no Sabbath practice without discipline and a little bit of fight. Because this world isn't built around the principle of Sabbath. 
Most of our days and our weeks are not structured around this rhythm, so we need to fight for it. We need to implement it. We need to live it. It is a fight, but it isn't meant to be handled legalistically. Again, Sabbath is an invitation to refreshment and delight. Delight in the central truth that your personal worth is not measured by your productivity or your possessions. I mean, that's good news. That's an invitation to freedom. Can I say it again? Sabbath is the delight in the truth that your personal worth is not measured by your personal productivity or your possessions and your ability to acquire them, what you do and what you get, but rather your worth is measured by you simply being a child of the living God. Hallelujah. It's a delight in the gospel truth that God delights in you even when you're accomplishing nothing. Can I say that again? The good news of God's grace is that he delights in you even when you are accomplishing zilch. God wants you to return to being human all over again to divest yourself of the temptation of the structures of living like you're a machine, subhuman, actually, but being invited into the life of being an image bearer full of life and energy and creativity and joy. And so he's given us this Sabbath practice, even as a command. You can see how the command itself is a grace. It is a must, but it's to set you free. It's to give you joy. It's a command and an invitation into the life of God, this God of rest. Will you accept the invitation? Our hope, our desire is that you will. That's why we're spending three weeks on this particular topic as part of our rooted sermon series. Let me be lovingly direct. The prayer here is that every single one of us will begin practicing some form of Sabbath, both on a daily and a weekly basis. So that we can actually start to instill in our lives that which God has said we must do, shall do, with delight in doing. So we talked about it a little bit last week. Let's talk about it again this week. Three quick lessons that we're going to look at. Again, looking at these different passages with a lot of emphasis on the practical how-tos because that's where I think we lose each other, lose ourselves in terms of, what. Well, but how do you do it? Here's our three lessons. One, Sabbath involves unplugging. Sabbath takes preparation. Thirdly, Sabbath is for love. Sabbath involves unplugging. Sabbath takes preparation. And thirdly, lastly, Sabbath is for love. Unplugging. What do I mean by that? Well, Sabbath is ceasing, right? I already talked about that. Ceasing, restoring, feasting. It's ceasing. You got to stop as part of your Sabbath, as part of a first step. Exodus 20 tells us this in no uncertain terms. Verse Nine, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, not your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
because that's what God did. Work and rest begins with ceasing, stopping of your daily work. But I think in principle it extends beyond just work itself. It requires us to learn to settle our hearts down and able to pave the way to true rest, to turn off the static and the buzz that so often defines us throughout the week and throughout the day. In other words, the more I've studied the meaning of Sabbath, the more I've struggled personally to practice it, the more I'm convinced that Sabbath in our present digital age needs to involve some intentional committed time away from our t phones, tablets, and computers. We need a break from our devices. In other words, we need to unplug literally. Now, a few reasons why. First, because our devices, which are helpful, yes, in many parts of life. So we're not here just to demonize technology. But typically, for whatever benefits they might give to you, they don't actually truly give us the rest that our bodies and our souls crave. Andy Crouch, helpful thinker, author, wrote a very helpful book, The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place, makes this helpful observation that technology, he says, has replaced rest with leisure. And what he means by leisure is fruitless escape from labor. And isn't that oftentimes what phones and screens and devices and technology often are turned to? Isn't this why we turn to them in the first place for? And that is escape. But not always in a way that gives us meaningful soul and body satisfying replenishment, which is what we're after in the Sabbath. Again, Crouch writes this, it's a kind of rest that doesn't really restore our souls, doesn't restore our relationships with others or God. The problem, he says, isn't with the devices themselves, it's the way we use them. We simply have to turn off the easy fixes and make media something we use on purpose and rarely rather than aimlessly and frequently. Right, again, so the point isn't that your phone is evil. The problem is that we just have a boundless, limitless way of engaging with our phones or our screens, and we're not using them purposefully, and we never, in fact, literally turn them off. Too often, technologies are portals for escape and little more. Uh, I was watering my daughter's squash plant in the garden yesterday, I was, and uh, I was spraying the leaves and suddenly was uh, realizing, no, no, I need to make sure the water actually gets into the soil where the roots are so that these wilted leaves might perk up a little bit. And I was thinking about how so often uh, the way that we approach rest is almost like we're just sort of if throwing water on leaves in, instead of making sure the water goes to where it needs to go, which is right at our roots. 
right? Where we're just sort of like scattering our lives with things that are sort of escapish, getting our minds off of the busyness or the anxiety or the workishness of life, but we're not actually doing deliberate things that replenish and renew our bodies, our minds, and our souls. We need to get the water down into the roots and not just spray the leaves, as it were. The thing about our devices is that they don't often truly give us the rest that we need and that we crave. Secondly, though, why we need a break from them is because they are, as we know, habit-forming and even addictive. Now, there's a lot of literature that's come out on this. I don't think I need to report that to you, except I will say diagnostically, if you're already sitting here saying, no way, man, no way, uh, let's talk about addiction, right? Um, right? If, you're, if this just seems impossible or, or overly intrusive or unrealistic to, to take a break from technology, uh, maybe the problem is actually hooked into your heart more than you might want to admit. And of course, the reason why these devices can be so habit-forming and addictive and why we need to pay attention to that, therefore, is because they actually are forming us more than we think. These things are formative. I have found in my own life uh, that if my eyes are constantly darting because I'm, I'm staring at the thing and, and just looking and moving my eyes constantly, um, darting eyes form darting hearts. And you start to find, I don't know if you have, I have, you start to find a place, a, a state of soul and of mind where you cannot settle yourself down. Well, why would you be able to if even your eyes and eventually your heart is constantly buzzing about? And even when you want to stop, it still buzzes even in your heart. Darting eyes form a darting heart. Constantly scrolling eyes create a scrolling soul, not a still soul. I think these things are forming us more than we want to admit. Thirdly, devices aren't evil. They're just a poor substitute for relationships. See, what I mean by that is the main goal of putting away the phone it is not just because they're bad for us, even though that is true if we overindulge in them. It's that our goal in Sabbath is to make more room to be more fully present. More fully there. <laughs> All there. Which you're almost never when you're here. <laughs> right? More fully present with others in the room your housemates, your spouse, your children, more present with yourself, paying attention to what I'm actually feeling rather than just sort of numbing it away. Uh, as Crouch writes in his book, sometimes we actually use our devices to escape because we don't want the pain of what's actually plaguing us and troubling us, the anxiety, the stress, the worry. It is there, but you know what? It's not healthy just to numb it away. Let's pay attention to it, bring it to God, and then find a true rest that's discovered in faith and in Sabbath. More fully present with others, with ourselves, and of course with God. Okay, so what then would it look like 
if we simply became more intentional and self-aware, if we actually imposed healthy limits on how we used our devices, I mean, what if we actually said, let's not have devices at the dinner table, right? What would it look like actually to be fully present, eyes on each other, speaking to one another, having conversation and genuine exchange? What would it look like actually to not have our devices at our bedsides so that the very last thought on your minds before you close your eyes is not the thought that you gain from what you found online or on social media and where your final liturgical act of wake life is not knocking back one last shot of digital booze but rather of settling down your mind and your body and your heart, of committing yourself to God, even with the words of that prayer that I commended to you last week, into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, O God of truth. Keep me, O Lord, as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Amen. Right, what if it was that, rather than the buzz of another glance? On the phone, what if you put away devices before you sleep and even outside your bedroom? What if in the morning, because now your device isn't there by your side, the first thought that you have is not defined by what you see here, so that you get to decide what fills your mind, the words of God, reflections on the coming day, a quiet moment of stillness and silence where perhaps you begin to practice what Justin Early, author of The Common Rule and former member of Grace Meridian Hill, has put it succinctly, screen before phone. I mean, sorry, that didn't make any sense. Scripture, scripture before phone. If you're paying attention, you're like, yeah, screen before phone, that sounds good. Scripture before screen or scripture before phone, how transformative that would be on a day-to-day -day basis for that to be what you input into your mind and your soul in the first few minutes that you wake up, whatever your ritual is. What if as part of our regular Sabbath, we not only ceased from our work, but also ceased from being glued to our devices, turning off notifications, or better, putting it on a docking station, or maybe better than that, putting it in a drawer out of sight for 24 hours each week, or maybe at least for three hours each week. No checking email, no reading texts, no checking social media. As Crouch put it, sort of a slogan that he developed, it might be something to shoot for, to take intentional steps in this direction, but what would it look like for us to take intentional time away from our devices one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year? What would that rhythm look like? Time away from devices at least one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year. It might take baby steps to get there, but can you imagine the liberation, the Sabbath, uh, the quieting of the buzz and the noise, 
the anxiety that's actually exacerbated worsened because of our time online, not quieted and not healed. God invites us to Sabbath by inviting us to unplug. Secondly, Sabbath takes preparation. It takes preparation. Uh, you may know that in the Old Testament, the practice of Sabbath was observed not just from morning to night, but from sunset to sunset. So you actually began the Sabbath according to the Jewish tradition still practiced by many Jewish people. The night before that full day that you're taking out as your time of rest and break. And the advantage of that is that it begins to envelop that nighttime hour and your sleep itself as the introduction of your body and soul into this Sabbath period. I mean, just think about the, the difference that it makes to wake up knowing that you are resolved to rest. You wake up not wondering what there is to do, which you've already sorted through before you close your eyes for bed, and you wake up to a commitment to nothing more than your own refreshment and restoration. That's a different kind of experience of the morning. A morning that's defined by the grace of God. Six days you shall work, we're told, and do all your work. And the Sabbath is a Sabbath day of rest or a moment of rest, but there's preparation that needs to go into making this possible. When we see in Exodus 16 the story of manna, the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, uh, they don't have food that they can provide for themselves, so God gives it to them. This flaky bread-like substance called manna. On the day before the Sabbath, God actually commands them to gather up twice as much as they normally would, just so that they would have not only what they need for that day, but also the next day on which they are to rest from having to gather. You see, there's a preparation that needs to come about before and in preparation for the Sabbath. Sometimes that might require, practically speaking, a little bit more of us in order to free up your Sabbath day or your Sabbath hour or few hours. It might actually require you to pace yourself differently the other six days. I remember as a graduate student and also walking with different college students throughout my years in campus ministry, where so often when this topic of Sabbath came up, you know, in the boundless life of a student where you feel like you need to be studying 24-7, I understand that pressure. In fact, they often, we often would say out loud, I don't have time to stop. If I do, then there's this crushing pile of work that's going to fall on me. How can I do this? Well, guess what? It actually takes smarter studying the previous six days. It actually takes planning and intentionality and even sacrifice in order to carve out space for the Sabbath. In other words, to do this well, it needs to restructure the other six days of the week. 
You might need to take care of a few things so that you're not slammed the minute you get back in the saddle. Personally, what I've tried to do is write out my list of to-dos for the first Monday or proverbial Monday that I'm coming back so that I'm not slammed by all those figuring out what I need to do the minute I come back, freeing my mind a little bit so that I can actually take Sabbath mentally and emotionally. You need to set yourself up for Sabbath success. But more than that, preparation isn't just doing more so that you can actually stop. It's also winding down in such a way that actually enables yourself to downshift into the Sabbath. Because you can't run around and go from 60 miles per hour to zero in a jiffy and actually expect yourself to experience rest. Teacher, author, and scholar Marva Dawn, whose book was very, very helpful, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, talks about how she follows the Jewish and Old Testament practice of beginning the Sabbath, again, not at first thing in the morning, but rather at sunset the night before. And she says that's to encourage a blissful expectancy, that's her phrase, for what's coming up the day around the corner. And so what she does then is she actually lights a bunch of candles uh, before she goes to sleep, and also, I believe, right around dinner time. Sometimes using physical symbols like the lighting of light and candles and the aroma that comes around them to signal to our minds, to our bodies, and to our families that Sabbath is here. See, you're preparing yourself, easing yourself into the practice of Sabbath. I think another important preparatory practice is that of thanksgiving. See, what you notice about the way that God did his Sabbath in the beginning of creation was that he created in the first six days, each day saying it was good, and then after he was done the sixth day of creation, he turned around, he looked over all that he had, and he said it was very good. We need to allow ourselves to, like God, enjoy the fruit of our labor. Too often, we don't get the rest that we need because we go straight from work and then diving into the deep end of our supposed rest while we're not sure that we've done enough or accomplished all that we thought we should accomplish. What if we paused and gave thanks? What if we actually made inventory, sometimes with a physical list, as I have done, writing out, this is what, by God's grace, I did today, so that the last 10 minutes of your workday are actually spent in a mode of thanksgiving, enumerating the things that you, by God's grace, actually were able to do. Now, it might not be all that you uh, wanted to do, you might have this lingering sense of frustration that, gosh, I could have or maybe should have done more, but this too is an act of faith. By the end of that period to say, this in God's providence is what he appointed for me to accomplish, and this is what I've done. Thank you, God, for this, number one, and this, number two, and this, number three. And I wish I could get down to number eight, but I'm glad in this moment for these three things. 
See, friends, because it's when we have that kind of satisfaction, that, yes, disciplined and practiced satisfaction in the day's work and in the week's work, then we can begin to overcome that restlessness and anxiety, which is really a lie of saying, I should have done more, could have done more, and we can actually lay our heads down or move on to the day's rest or turn to the people around us, not still thinking about our work, but rather thinking about them. Thanksgiving. 10 or 15 minutes at the end of each workday, maybe before you shut down and close the computer or step out of the store door where you are working. Maybe it might be on the ride home on the metro. Maybe it might be at the evening before you close your eyes to sleep, saying, God, thank you for the day's work that I was able to do. And then turn to God. Turn to yourself and turn to other people. Because having cleared out that space, now you're ready for the third point briefly to embrace the idea that Sabbath is for love. See, friends, the idea here is not simply that of self-care, though obviously we're talking about that too, right? There's an aspect of Sabbath that is a product of the commitment to love yourself, steward your body or mind, who you are as an image bearer, caring for yourself. But friends, do you also understand that Sabbath is to give your body and soul pause so that you have the wherewithal to love other people around you? Sabbath is for love because half the time we're not able to love because we can't even pay attention to those around us. Half the time we're buzzing in such a way that our eyes are almost literally fogged over, consumed by anxiety and workishness in our hearts that we can't even pay attention to other people's pain. Sabbath clears away the margins so that we're able to move out and push out into risk-taking acts of love to our neighbors, to our families, to those in our homes, and those on our blocks. Because isn't it true, half the time, we're running away from people because we know they might tire us out. But what if we actually found a way to be replenished, ready to give, with a full heart, because you have built into your life a normal rhythmic practice of Sabbath, now you're looking for opportunities to love your neighbor, to give, because you have more now finally to give. And you're able to quiet yourself in a way where you can pay attention to those around you. You can listen. You can love. But most importantly, Sabbath is for love. Not just because it frees you to love other people, but because it frees you to be loved, to receive the love of God in Christ, which is what we all most need. Dear friends, as my dear friend Abe Cho, pastor who also spoke at our fall retreat a few years ago, has said so helpfully, one of the most valuable things about practicing a Sabbath is to be reconvinced again and again that I am deeply loved by God even when I'm unproductive. That I am deeply loved by God even when I'm accomplishing nothing. 
or not enough, as my heart sometimes tells me. That God looks upon you and delights in you. A smile on his face, as it were, even when you're at your least accomplished. Such is the love and the grace of your heavenly Father for you. Not tapping his foot, saying, what have you done for me lately? Why didn't you get further down that to-do list today or this past week? He says, no. He says, no, come on in here. Into my rest. Right into the rest that fills my bosom. Lay it all down and play. Do you know a God who commands you to play? Only the good news of God's grace lets you see a God like that. Do you want to see it? Do you want to see him? Do you want to see people at last lifting the fog or to see yourself because maybe you don't even have elbow room to see you. What an invitation. What a delight. Sabbath, will you receive it? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being the one who says, like no one else would ever say, come to me, you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. We want rest. Teach us how. We're listening. We're learning. We're trying to unplug. We're learning to prepare. We want to love. We want to receive your love. Thank you for Sabbath. Multiply Sabbath in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.